0: Emmanuel, God with us. Such an incredible, not just phrase, it's an incredible, the incredible truth. I remember when I lived in Costa Rica for a year and uh, this professor and had us over to his house and he was talking to us in Spanish and he says like, what's the biggest milagro like in the world? And he's a theology professor and I'll never forget his uh, face and he's like probably 80 at the time and just finishing his professorship and he's, la encarnacion, the incarnation. And if you think about it, it's like, yeah, is there a bigger miracle than God becoming flesh, God becoming human? It's like, well, you're going to have a tough one finding. I mean, you've got to go death and resurrection, but like, it's a pretty complete package when you're talking about mind-blowing miracles. That is our confession at Christmas, that God became flesh, that God is with us. So I've been meditating on, contemplating, considering, what are the different ways that God is with us? What are those ways that are pointed to even in the first Christmas season? And a phrase that's been in my head and just kind of popped in there and been considering it, contemplating, the truth that God is with us in weakness. And I think that's good news. Right? I mean, though there is much to celebrate at Christmas season, that doesn't mean Christmas season is easy. Christmas season can even be extra hard. You can be aware or you can have the feeling of, oh man, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not, I'm not where others are. And you can have feelings of isolation and loneliness, despair. Those happen at Christmas. Those happen at the holiday season. Maybe for that reason, Jesus brought to mind that truth that he's with us in weakness. And as I was pressing into that phrase, I felt like God wanted to take it deeper than the comfortable place, which is God is with us in our weakness. I mean, that's good news, and maybe that's not even comfortable, so that should get comfortable because that's good news, that God is with us in our weakness, But I felt like there's even more, before we get there, and we will, the deeper layer to that is, well, first, God was with us in weakness, his own weakness, his own vulnerability at Christmas. And what does that mean? And now we're bordering on, you know, I'm uncomfortable, all right, blasphemy, which you got to be careful, don't, how far this goes. So what do I mean? Well, let's go to the Bible right now because it has the good news of how God is with us in weakness. Hebrews 4. We'll start there and then we'll come back to the Christmas story. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, now reflecting back on the life of Jesus and looking at how Jesus was with us, how God was with us in Jesus as our high priest, our mediator with God, the Father, so to speak. That's what this is talking about. So in a sense, this is reflecting back on Christmas and everything forward from that in the life of Jesus. And it says this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, that's a large claim, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Or I should say, yet without sin. (laughs) Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's two really important words in there to emphasize the depths of weakness that God chose in becoming a baby on earth. Sympathize. The word "sympatheo" from the Greek is two words, sin or sim, means with, and patheo means feel, to feel. So patheo, pathology, you might recognize that word. So you put those together, sympatheo, to feel with. To feel with, to feel what we feel. Now that's something. The God of the universe chose to enter into humanity in such a way that he can feel what we feel feel in what ways well that he's been tempted and that same it's the same working word in Greek of tested they're identical I wish they were different because they have different nuances and in our world he was tempted and tested in every way I mean come on think about that how have you been tested he's been tested like that how have you been tempted he's been tempted like that. He can feel the same thing you're feeling. And the next one is weakness. I really like this one as I was studying it. It's asthenia. It's from the word stheno, which means strength, but then they just add the what looks to us like an a, the alpha, the a on the on the front and that means not or no. And so literally, weakness is astheneo, or asthenea, meaning no strength. He chose to enter into humanity in such a way that he was tempted and tested in every way that we are so that we could feel what we feel in our no strength, We should just be like, just let that sit for like 20 minutes. Like, wow, what? That's why the Bible says meditate on his word, because that truth of what I just said needs reflection. Like, what does that even mean? Every way that I've been tested, every way that I've been tempted, he can feel what I feel in those moments where it's like, I'm feeling weak. I just don't have the strength. This is the Bible, says Jesus feels that. He felt that on earth. Yet, it's right there, here we go. (laughs) I know you're very uncomfortable if we just stop there, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what I want us to get uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable, but just due diligence of the word, which is God is with us in weakness on purpose. Because he wants you to know that he feels what you're going through. God of the universe chose to be with us in weakness so that when you're at your weakest point in temptation and testing and feeling like, I just don't have the strength, God of the universe legitimately can say, I know how you feel. Yet, I was without sin. Yet, I conquered it. And so, therefore, I am the victorious warrior that has the strength now to give it to you. And that is where you're different than me, Jesus is going to (laughs) say. No one else felt that depth of weakness and did not sin. He's the only one. So Jesus incarnate, fully felt all the testing and tempting that humanity faces, yet emerged triumphant. That's the without sin. He emerged triumphant, and now we'll get to the next verse, so that as conquering king over sin and weakness, he can both sympathize with us and share his strength so that we too can overcome. That's what the next Bible verse says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's all just, that's how it flows, (laughs) This is the God incarnate, Jesus on earth. Our high priest can feel it all, was tempted and tested in every way, yet without sin, yet he conquered, so that we could be confident that when we feel our need, our lack of strength, we can go to him and he says, I've got the strength you don't have. At the throne of grace, In this context, that word grace, it has two meanings in the Bible, undeserved goodness and empowering presence. Now, they're very similar and connected. You could say they're one, they're nuanced one, but in this throne of grace picture, I would say empowering presence is is what we need to make sure we're grabbing hold of here At the throne of grace, there is a supernatural transfer from the powerful one to the weak one. We come to the throne of grace in our time of need for an exchange. Our weakness for his strength, for his help, his empowering presence. You just come and you say, I'm weak, I need help. And he says, I've felt all that, but I'm victorious. I'll share with you the spoils of war. Because I went through hell on your behalf, came out victorious. You can't do that, so here's some grace. Amen. Amen. That is good news. Let's look now to the Christmas story. Just contemplate a few of the ways that God chose to be with us in weakness. Matthew 1, 18-19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly Jesus felt the weakness of being faced with shame and rejection now how Because his parents were clearly faced with shame and rejection from even before his birth. And every child picks up what their parents are feeling, whether they know it or not, or they want to or not. And shame and rejection are all over the household of Mary and Joseph from a human standpoint. Let's look at it and we'll see how even Jesus had to face it very strong because of where it even started. The first description of how Joseph felt about the whole thing putting ourselves, even trying to put ourselves in their shoes, and remembering these are people. <laughs> these are not just movie characters, these are not just heroic story characters. As part of reading the Bible for encountering God is to Remember that and put yourself in the shoes of the people in the Bible and imagine if you were them, how would you feel? And then what is God saying in the midst of it? I mean, this is, this is an intense story. You know, this is a, a teenage girl, most likely, betrothed to Joseph, and she shows up pregnant. Joseph knows it's not him. Her story is it's God. God. Has that ever worked in human history? <laughs> Only that card was played once, effectively. It didn't start well, though, for Joseph, his immediate response is the feeling of shame. Shame. It's a shame on him. It's a shame on her. And as a noble man, he's going to try to not bring any extra shame upon her, although he could, and that's... He had a right, so to speak, in that culture. He says, he, no, he just wants to kind of make, make it go away, make her go away quietly to minimize shame because that's what the whole thing is now a cloud over them. That's what was on the line with her becoming pregnant. And shame was just massive in that culture. It's very connected to identity, which was given by the approval of your community. If you, so to speak, stayed in line and followed the rules and regulations, then the elders of the community, in a way, would bestow upon you that identity of approval and honor. If you step out of line from the way things are supposed to be, it's shame upon you. And that just becomes your identity. You think of like the Scarlet Letter book, and she had to wear that A. That is your identity is being defined by your elders and community, and it's shame. And this was God's plan. To enter into this weakness, this vulnerability. And make no mistake, Jesus felt it. Even 33 years later, there's a story, it's hard to see sometimes, you need to run right over it, but the temptation of shame was always facing Jesus. The test, so to speak, of shame was always facing Jesus. It was a weak point that his opponents could point to to try to exploit. So 30 to 33 years later, he was talking with the religious leaders of his community. These are the ones who bestow honor and shame. They have massive influence on one's identity. And Jesus starts having a conversation about identity, fatherhood, And it goes like this in John 8, 38. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Which he later says is the devil. So, (laughs) gentle Jesus, meek and mild. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, You would be doing the works that Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God, or God himself. You can miss it. But what they're saying, as he's pressing them on who their real father is, it's like junior high. They're like, well, we're not born of sexual immorality. What's going on? They are talking about Jesus and the dirty little secret, so to speak, that his mother became pregnant before she was married. So, so now, that is a reputation that he carries 30-plus years later, a weakness that any foe can point to at any time to try to delegitimize his character and ministry. The word sexual immorality here is pornea. Porn, yes, aya. It is a broad term to denote in the culture any kind of what was determined at that point as like sexual filthiness. Anything from fornication, outside of marriage, becoming pregnant, having a bastard child, all the way to prostitution. It's not a nice word to say to a fellow rabbi. Shame is its fruit. So any conversation about identity and fatherhood, this Pharisee sees the moment to bring up this apparent weakness or vulnerability in Jesus. We know who you are. We know what your mother did. We know what Joseph tried to cover up. We're not born of Pornea. You are. That's a dirty game the Pharisees are playing. Don't underestimate its power in that culture. They are the ones at the time, according to the community, speaking on behalf of God for the people. They interpret the law. They interpret scripture. They interpret what is righteous. And they declared Jesus porneia. That's his identity. Bestowed by the elders of the community. In his humanity, you think that's not a temptation or a test to take on shame and rejection? It's about as big as it gets from a human perspective. Jesus can sympathize with our testing and temptation and weakness toward shame and rejection. This is his own people whom he came to save. Jesus entered into, God chose to enter Jesus into, to subject Jesus into the weakness of shame and rejection, to feel it all, to feel it all. Yet, he did not sin. He did not take on the shame as his own or let the rejection define his identity. He looked to his heavenly father to define who he was, where he was from, and what he is worth. And so that's where then, though feeling it all, he's the victorious one and he can share that strength with you. That's the throne of grace. He wants you to come to as the victorious, conquering king, who though feels it all, was without sin. But wait, there's more. In the Christmas story of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, And then Matthew 2, and we'll close there. The Christmas story of Luke 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, we've made this into things that we sing about as part of the glorious story of Christmas, and it is. But what we're really singing about that's glorious is Jesus in his weakness. Jesus entering into the weakness. I was trying to think of what word this might be here, and he's lacking everything needed, and the word for that, both in Greek and English, is poverty. Jesus knows the weakness, the temptation, the test of poverty, of lacking what is needed in the moment to provide any kind of physical comfort or even safety. Now again, putting putting ourselves in the shoes of Joseph and Mary, who are real people, and yes, God helped them be victorious, and we'll look to that next week as God is with us in power but let's not jump over the weakness. They lacked what would have provided physical comfort and even sanitation and safety. They didn't even have the ability to get him a bed. He was born in a barn. It says there's no room at the inn, but man, if you have enough money, there's room for you somewhere. Come on, let's be real about that. No room in the entire city? If you have money, you know somebody. You got a guy, you got a connection. But nobody. What about a doctor at childbirth? What about a midwife? What about a clean bed? What about sanitation? I mean, this is a 16-year-old girl giving birth to her first child alone into a feeding trough. That's not glamorous. I mean, what about the safety of mother and child on Joseph's part? He doesn't have midwife training. I mean, I know they're a lot tougher than we are, so he's probably seen some things in his life, but there's no indication that he's, oh yeah, well, we're just gonna, yeah. Oh, cool, let's go give birth in the major, I got it. He's a not even yet married young man, he's gotta be terrified. That's dangerous. I mean, the child mortality rate at that point was insanely high to what we know nowadays. Childbirth was dangerous for mother and child, Subjected to being born outside in the barn. I mean, I just think of the contrast of just what is our standard of living now. And it's like, no, he, there is such a weakness of poverty. As I was meditating and writing this message, just, just a, a, a little sidebar of real life. So. I think it was Wednesday night when we were late here with the youth. And so we got home. We're both tired. We just go to bed. We don't make a good lunch for the boys. And so salami and cheese was the the, the standby. So we threw it into the lunches. I mean, not trash to go along with it. We had some dried mangoes. We had some apple. We had a nice little Lara bar. And one of my sons, I'm not saying which one. I'm not telling you. Don't ask. (laughs) Refuses to take the lunch. And then when my wife texts him, an oh-so-not-happy text. It says, what is wrong with salami and cheese? And his honest-to-Jesus answer was, Mom, that's so-pav. And I'm writing a message on the king of the universe (laughs) being born in a feeding trough. And dried mangoes, apple, Lara bars, cheese, and oh, salami is so Pav for your life. Yes, it is apparently. No cap. <laughs> and then I have to check myself and be like, uh, he probably picked that up. <laughs> from our house. Although I never used that word because I don't even know what it means. I had to go look it up in the urban dictionary. <laughs> but it's just this like contrast of worlds. The king of the universe, as we look back and, you know, can romanticize the Christmas songs, but The king of the universe was born into dangerous, unsanitary, isolated, lonely conditions. I mean, as first-time parents, I cannot even imagine. Mary, who's probably a teenager, doesn't have her mom with her, no sisters. There's no comfort. There's no support. There's no help. The king of kings was born into dangerous vulnerability. And then it only continues. After the visit from Magi of the east, Matthew goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, Now when the Magi had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Just what every first time parent wants to hear. So he rose and took the child and his mother in the middle of the night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. I mean, this is not a glamorous picture. Mary and Joseph had to take baby Jesus and live on the run in hiding due to the real threat of death upon the life of Jesus from essentially the time he was born. They had to flee to another country. It says right in here, they got up in the middle of the night. I mean, have any of us ever had to take As first-time parents, a brand-new baby with the threat of death, you got to wake up in the middle of the night, pack your things. We've got to leave. Our lives are under serious threat. And the only place they go, they had to take refuge in another country. They had to go far enough away to where hopefully no one knew them in order to not have their child killed by a psychotic king. And again we 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 can't ro- just romanticize this as warm feelings. This is real life, young first-time parents already subjected to shame, rejection, poverty, now have to find a way to secretly escape from a king who wants to kill their only child. So they have to leave everything they know. They have to find refuge in a foreign land. And it's not like Egypt at that place was like this great, warm, fuzzy land of, you know, milk and honey prosperity. The Jews had enemies everywhere. The world is under Roman occupation. The roads were very dangerous, very dangerous. Traveling with a a young mom and a baby alone, that is a recipe for disaster. There's a reason why they traveled in tribes and herds together. At minimum, these circumstances show that Jesus was born into almost unfathomable insecurity about his present and uncertainty about his future. I mean, if they make it to Egypt alive, and from a human standpoint, that's a serious if. There's no home waiting for him. There's no plan when they get there other than running for their life. There's no job waiting for them. There's no family there to comfort them. They are completely isolated and alone. Their present reality has zero security. Their future, from the human terms, has zero certainty. It's hard to even imagine living In this kind of weakness, temptation, vulnerability. I mean, I kind of made fun of my son on that one, that last one, but put myself in this shoes. The level of uncertainty for the future with your family on the line unbelievable weakness. I mean, our culture freaks out at the slightest bit insecurity or uncertainty about the future. We love, love security and certainty. We want everything planned out, everything mapped out, every rainy day possibility accounted for. And I do believe, let me be clear, that when God has blessed you with resources, you should steward them wisely, amen. Amen. But I am just shocked at the contrast between my love for, our culture's love for, Security about the present, certainty about the future, and how it's such an unbelievable, like almost unfathomable distance between what God chose to enter into, what how God was with us in the unfathomable weakness of living as a wandering refugee. Fleeing from a tyrant with clear and present life threatening danger as his normal reality, and his future completely uncertain. And yet, he emerged the Prince of Peace. I think I need the throne of grace because that's so different from me. These are the warm, fuzzy feelings of Christmas, right? They are. Because if the Messiah hadn't fully entered into our weakness and conquered... He could not give us his victorious strength. This is God with us in the first Christmas and the same God with us now. So if this Christmas season you are feeling any sense of shame or rejection, Jesus sympathizes with that weakness and offers to be God with you. If in any way you're feeling a sort of lack of poverty, lack of support or resources to make happen what you need to make happen, Jesus sympathizes. He feels what you feel and offers the throne of grace. If this Christmas season you are feeling isolated from help, insecure about the present uncertain about the future jesus says have i got a story for you <laughs> yet come to the prince of peace let's pray on these things jesus we thank you that you chose To be God with us in our weakness. Yet without sin, you are the conquering King, and you invite us today and every day to the throne of grace for your help in our time of need. I pray in this moment, this season, that you would help us be courageous people who are willing to bring our weakness to the throne of grace, to admit our need for help, and instead of just try to push that weakness under the rug in some fashion, that we would embrace it, knowing you have embraced that weakness and come out victorious and can give us strength that we can never muster up on our own. Thank you that the throne of grace is a place for supernatural exchange. It's a miracle. It's where you are saying, you give me your need, I'll give you my strength. Help us believe that that is real, real, real. Let's take a quiet moment just between you and God and join me in this prayer in your own way. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would show us in our life one place of need or weakness in this Christmas season And how you both sympathize with us, you feel it, but you're also the conquering king that has strength to give us. Let's just take a quiet moment. Holy Spirit, what do you want to reveal right now? Now I encourage you just to see yourself before the throne of grace right now and make a holy exchange. Give him your weakness and receive a Christmas gift from him. God, what do you want to say to us right now, personally? here's an example. God, I give you my uncertainty and insecurity about my future. And he says, your future is certain and secure. So I say, thank you, Jesus. I declare in your name, my future is certain and secure. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us in this moment right now and that you're not going anywhere. Thank you that the throne of grace by your life, death, and resurrection is always open. And like the Apostle Paul said, so therefore let us come with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace where you will be with us in our weakness. Thank you, Lord. I will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. I will dance a new dance like David.